0: Cool. How are, Warren, how are you? Hey, it's been, it's been good. Busy <laughs> doing this and whatnot. I know some of y'all wanted me to do go into another book, but I'll be in for another time. In the meantime, we're doing Psalms. Yeah. Woo! Uh, Woo! <laughs> next time. All right, next time, next time. So when you meet someone for the first time, you don't know off the bat all the things about different facets of their character what they're into, how they react to things, and what beliefs they hold strongly. Like whether they're big fans of SpongeBob or huge fans of The Office. So when you slowly spend time with them, the character of who they are starts to be built up in your mind. Growing up with my dad, I didn't know immediately off the bat everything everything about him. It just, some things came with time. Some things I wouldn't understand until it came to maturity. In elementary school, during the wintertime, we would get out of the house, hurrying to the car, so that we'd get warm and dropped off to school. In hopes of warming up, my dad would start blasting the AC cold. I'm like, what the heck? I'm freezing. I'm trying to warm up. And what I learned was that the cold doesn't bother him. He, He was actually hot in the car. I'm like, okay, whatever. And so in middle school, I noticed that my dad would work most of the day, beginning after he would drop me off after school. He worked hard during the summer times in his lawn mowing business. It is no joke, he always came home and dirty, sweaty each day after seven or 8 p.m. And I learned that he's a hard worker despite the conditions. In high school, he coveted this commercial grade <laughs> lawn mower that retailed for $5,000. Yep. And the guy was selling it used for $3,000. Uh-huh. And so he brought me with him to interpret because he's deaf. But he also only brought $2,000 in cash. And I was like, and I was confused at the time. I was like, why not just give the guy what he asked for? It's, it's a great deal. And, but he was like, you'll see. I'm going to negotiate. And I was like, this is before I got comfortable with confrontation, so everything about this I hated. I hated yes. it. Come on. And so when we got there, the guy would, make, would explain the makeup of the mower, and my dad would look at it, check it out, test it, and he'd point out all these different imperfections yeah. of the mower. Come on. And so and so my dad said, "I'll offer 1800." And the guy was like, Whoa. he waslder and he was like. No, I want more. And so they went back and forth negotiating, talking. But in the end, my dad said, I only have $2,000, and it's in cash. And then the guy who definitely wanted it, he was like, okay, I'll take it. And so I learned that my dad was very bold and a good negotiator. And so while attending Sam, I learned that my dad is wild. Some would say i take after him, but when he caught wind of a possible January 6th siege, he booked a flight to D.C. saying it would be fun. And so he did have fun, and he was like, as long as you, have, you good, use good judgment, you're good. And I was like, I'm, I'm in the same way. It's like, as long as you're smart about it, you're good. And so these are some attributes of my dad, though not all, and he's not a perfect dad, and definitely not without faults and I love them very much. And so there are many facets of someone's character. Over time, you see new sides of a, of a person's character when they go through a situation. And so someone's character is kind of like a hexagonal ball. Some things are very obvious on the outside, on the, front, on the very forefront, like someone's introverted or socialite. Those are very noticeable things, and you can deduce what type of person they are based on what they wear as well. And so you may see if they're friendly or silly and how they speak to people, but other facets of their character may be hard to see until the ball turns. Yeah. And so when we see, when we first meet a person, we subconsciously paint a full persona of that person, maybe even untrue characteristics, and they won't be truly filled in until we see them go through a certain situation.
1: Yeah.
0: That's when we say oh I didn't know that about him like oh I didn't know she was capable of that
1: yeah.
0: and so David over time saw different facets of God's character as he went through different situations yeah. and so it's interesting when we see God the character of God in the New Testament when we see Jesus we saw different fat or different facets of God in different situations we can see God's character in the flesh and how he talked to people the way he treated people the way he behaved how yeah. he did things when he did things And we can look at, read and extensively the Gospels and learn about the character of God. That's how we can get to know about God right now, reading our Bibles. (laughs) But my question is, how did David learn about the character of God? He didn't go back and read the older texts. There was written text about God, but very limited information about God's persona. And so compared to the Gospels. And Jesus hasn't come yet for his time, so no New Testament for him to read. So... How could David learn about God's character unless he actually spent time with God? Okay. And so in my study and making this course, I aim to look into the character of God in the Psalms. But through the Psalms, I stumbled onto another track that I keep on hitting, which is having constant delight in God.
1: Okay. Come
0: on. Reason being is because when you truly know God and his character... You can't have anything else but delight for him. And so I'll be merging that track onto this main study about knowing God's character. The reason I'm a big fan of the Psalms is because it's my comfort book of the Bible. Uh, And so it's amazing looking into the beautiful songs of David. What do you think when someone writes a song for someone else? I can think of people since the start of humanity People made songs for people in great honor of them, like when they did legendary feats, oh, they won these wars, oh, they killed a thousand men. You celebrate them.
1: Yeah. Or when a
0: person makes a song for their beloved. In Psalms, David wrote songs for God for both of these reasons, sometimes even in the same song. And so this class is not exhaustive because there's so many of them, so many Psalms, and I can only cover a few. And I'm sorry if I don't cover yours, but I'm definitely covering Psalms 23. And that's what I'm start with. So to preface, a lot of scripture in both the Old and New Testament refers to us people as sheep. And sheep are regarded as the dumbest animals in the world. They often put themselves in danger. They wander off to be eaten by wolves. They will drink dirty water. They'll eat a patch of grass, and they'll keep on eating it until there's no more grass, and they'll keep on eating, and they'll eat dirt. And so they have to be moved, and they have to be taken care of. And Psalms 23 heavily holds that metaphor of us being sheep and God is calling us dumb. It's a fair assessment <laughs> after, you know, humanity and all that. And so a lot of what I'm, what I'm using for this certain uh, particular Psalm, I'm stealing from Philip Keller's book, Shepherd Read Psalms 23. Mm-hmm. So maybe more, maybe cry more than a few times. So I recommend reading it. It's so good. So the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want so david knew this in a personal sense that god was real a personal shepherd for david himself and the sweetest word that we see here is the monosyllable my he does not say the lord leadeth a flock of sheep but the lord is my shepherd if he be a shepherd to no one else he is a shepherd to me he cares for me he watches over me preserves me I shall not want. In other versions, the verse says, I lack nothing. Mm. means that all your needs are supplied by the Lord, and you decide not to desire more than what the Lord has given you. And it's called contentness. And contentness is the hallmark of every Christian man and woman. And so, who has their, put their trust in the hands of God? So, men are always searching for safety beyond themselves. Restless, greedy, covetous, rest on restless. Wanting this and that, yet never really satisfied with what they have. And saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Means that I'm completely satisfied with his management over my life. Mm -hmm. Why? Because he is the sheep man to whom no trouble is too great, for he cares Mm -hmm. for his flock. A rancher who has a huge fondness for his sheep. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And so when I think of this, green pastures... I actually think of this photo,
1: the the Windows XP, and it was like, this
0: is so great, and so it's like, have you ever, like, walked on a short, soft, grass barefoot with no, with full confidence, like, there's no stickers whatsoever, right? No? You're missing out, Zach. Well, it's like, I've been on those things where I can kick a soccer ball around, it's like, I'm chilling, this is so nice, or even just look at the sky, this is so beautiful, and so Philip Keller, writes that sheep do not lie down easily, will not unless four conditions are met, because they are timid. They will not lie down if they are afraid, because they are social animals. They will not lie down if there is friction among the sheep, if flies or parasites pursue them. They will not lie down. Finally, if sheep are anxious about food or hungry, they will not lie down. Finally, or actually... Rest comes because the shepherd has dealt with all these four things. Fear, friction, hunger, and flies. And so God lays us down beside still waters, which is more powerful, or more peaceful, sorry, against, rather than rocking waves onto rocks, I would much rather lay down beside a calm stream. It's quieter, and you can sleep almost. And so... He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Some version says he renews my soul. He restores me back to the flock. He restores you to original purity. When a sheep has wandered away from the flock, there are a couple things that happen. First, without care from the sheep, from the shepherd, the sheep can no longer be shaved of its wool because it's continuously growing. And that can pose a problem because as it grows, it becomes more burdensome more than what the sheep can actually handle. And so it can also grow downwards where it's touching the ground and where the sheep will slowly, unintentionally pick up crap, sticks, uh, leaves, dirt, and sometimes actual crap. And from there, there's, it gets to a point where they can't stand anymore under its own weight and it becomes downcast. And downcast is actually a shepherding term. There's where a, she- a sheep... It can either be from its own wool or whatever or it just falls over and it can't get back up they're not built for that and so it gets actually very very difficult for them to get up on their own power and they flail their legs in the air bleed cry and after a few hours on their back gas starts and the way they're built gas starts to get built up in them and the air passage gets cut off and it's Slowly they suffocate to death. Mm. And so when the shepherd comes and finds a way or finds a sheep cast down with its wool, he'll have to shave it. But to it, it's not without pain to the sheep. But also the shepherd too, as the sheep kicks at its caretaker. But the shepherd happily cares for his beloved sheep. Back into the fold, he restores you with lightness and purity. That's what you're meant for. Mm. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his righteousness. The shepherd knows better what's best for his sheep. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So the word shadow you see here is, oh, oh, oh. Okay, here we go. Cool. So. If you look, if you switch out shadow for death, we read, I walk through the valley of, sh- of, of the threat of death. I will fear, will not fear evil for you are with me, which signifies a strong presence of the shepherd. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod was used by the shepherd to hit animals, to even throw at animals, to keep them away from the sheep. They can knock out wild animals and knock some sense into strange sheep. And so the staff tip and they also carried a staff with them so you have a rod and you have a tall staff and the staff typically has a hook at the end of it to pull the sheep by the neck back into the fold and it doesn't hurt the sheep the rod and staff comfort me the shepherd helps protect me from myself from my own foolishness because i know i do a lot of dumb stuff but i'm so glad that i have a shepherd that's so gracious for me and Caring for me to pull me back into the fold. Yeah. So in this verse along with the rest of the passage pay attention to the eyes and With the use they're written. They're written intentionally. So just like you looking into that So when there are mountains there are always valleys accompanying them. There are ravines floods predators that stay in these valleys and Oftentimes the only way to get past and get to the next stage of life is to go through them but in this verse it says I walk through it does not say I stop or I die it's sweet to see that God is with you the rest of the way he is not absent you have an awesome God who cares you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you Mm. anoint my head with oil my cup overflows in this first half of the sentence what do you think when you hear the word table (laughs) yes yes what else what else what comes with the dining room table
1: food
0: Food. people yes so you think of a family you think of people coming together to eat fellowship feast to companionship And so would you trust your protector while you eat burgers in front of your enemies? Mm. God is setting a table for you to feast. It means you're comfortable and with full confidence that whatever is happening, enemies can't touch you. You anoint my head with oil. During the spring, summertime, there would be a huge problem with sheep that flies would go up in their nostrils and lay eggs. And this would become so irritating and burdensome that sheep could not rest whatsoever because the eggs and the larvae would grow and they're like in there. And so in order to solve this problem and to get rid of the flies, the sheep would actually resort to smashing their noses into the ground and against trees. And sometimes this actually results in them dying from it. And so if luckily, or if those sheep has a good shepherd, they would recognize this off the bat. And they would pour oil over the sheep's head, and it would actually flood and kill the eggs out of their noses, yeah. so they would have relief yes. and rest. My cup overflows. What does that mean? It's overflowing. Yes, yes.
1: One more of it. It's like,
0: what does that signify? Like, it is overflowing. Abundance. Abundance. Yes. And so it's an abundance of something. George Herbert has a poem about a banquet being invited to a life in christ it's presented like a banquet like a feast and god wants to give you an abundance surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and i shall dwell in the house of the lord forever if you look at the first word surely it means certainty a certainty that goodness and mercy shall follow sheep want to follow other sheep so they too can have a good shepherd and all the days of my life means a prominent and permanent relationship. And the psalm ends with the calmest assurance that he would enjoy the presence of the Lord forever. David knew that part of God's character is that he's full of goodness and mercy. He had no doubt these things would go away or not go away. They're not a one-time punch card. It's an endless gift. And wow, like what a descriptive way that like David wrote this psalm. And it's like, When you connect it to the right way, you have this full array of information. And so this song was probably written when he was a king. He is not ashamed of his former occupation. And the idea behind God's role as a shepherd is of loving concern and care for his sheep. And he found that he can find fellowship with his shepherd because God is always present. He found that he can have fellowship and having a fruitful time and peace or peace, even though his David was pursued after enemies that were trying to kill him. Dallas Willard said, The 23rd Psalm was not merely a pretty poem with charming sentiments, but an accurate description of the kind of life that is available to anyone who will allow God to be their shepherd. So from digesting Psalms 23, we see through David's lens a variety of God's character. Verse 1, we see he's a good shepherd. Yeah. Verse 3, he's a restorer, redeemer, and a healer. Verse 4, he's a protector and a comforter. Verse 5, he's a provider. Verse 6, he's merciful and good. Yeah. And also one thing to note, on the character and nature of God, any attributes that I list, it's not things that God picked up to adopt into his nature they naturally flow from him yeah. when he loves it's not him that's adding an adopted nature it, it he's just being himself yeah. so let's jump to psalms 27 we won't cover the whole psalm but part of it the lord is my light and salvation whom shall i fear the lord is the stronghold of my life whom shall i fear so here david uses a type of repetition called anaphora it's a weird word and is used to repeat ideas but in using different words in both sentences david keeps saying what shall i be afraid of but calling god three different things he calls him his light Mm -hmm. and his salvation and he's using these two things as if they're personal to him look at the words his light his salvation Mm -hmm. and finally the stronghold when i think of that word i think of a strong castle Mm -hmm. god is our defense And David viewed God as his light, a guide in the dark, like a lamp, because we can only really see two inches in front of us than the distance we think we can see ahead of us. And as we skip down to verse four, one thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So I know we skipped two and three, but those initial verses, they're, Verses of celebration. And so we go from celebration to contemplation. Mm -hmm. In the first part of this verse, it says, One thing I've asked of the Lord. Other versions say, One thing I've desired of the Lord. Mm -hmm. David was so fascinated with God, he forgot about everything else. All his worries went away when he was stuck on God. The only thing he asked of God was, That I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. David wished he could live in the tabernacle itself surrounded every day by the presence and beauty of the of God. So to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, David knew there was a beauty in nature to the presence of God. He couldn't think of any other thing to fill his mind and heart with the goodness of God. And when you're full obsession of something, all you want to do is sit there and maybe even ask questions. To inquire means to ask questions. David wanted to know more of God and his ways.
1: And
0: yeah. it's far more important that, to God that he has all your attention than that you know what to do. We often want to know what to do when God, when he wants is you. Yeah. He wants your heart, affection, and attention. And sometimes I ask God, like, wow, God, like, what a universe you created. You are so creative. Then I would get curious and I was like, God, why are we, why do we breathe oxygen? Why not argon, you know, out of all things? It's like, why do you, why do things grow when you water them? Good why do trees have different types of bark and, and like some are really smooth, some are like really gritty and they're in different colors. Even leaves on the different trees have different textures, like what the heck, and shapes. It's like, and then... Over just contemplating that, I get my own questions answered. Like, God set the universe in such an orderly way on purpose to where the world is always balanced. And he set the world for us to see his beauty and nature. For it, it is full of, of abundance and variety. What an awesome God we have. So there is a person in the New Testament that I want to peel away just a little bit who has the same spirit like David, the same fascination with God. Can anyone... Have a guess at that. Who they think it is?
1: Matthew.
0: Not Matthew. Not Epaphras. (laughs) Not John.
1: Peter. Not not Peter. Nope.
0: (laughs) Nope.
1: Nicodemus.
0: Not Nicodemus. He was curious. Not the same fascination. All right. No. But let me tell you. It's someone you might not even think at all. It's Mary of Bethany.
1: I, I, yes, I so
0: <clears throat> what's interesting about her is that she didn't teach at the synagogues, She didn't lead a small group. She didn't write a book. But she's mentioned three times in scripture, which means she's important. She's important. Yeah. And she has this one wonderful quality. And it's that her deep longing for Jesus and Jesus noticed it. Yeah. So we're going to jump to Luke 10, verse 38 through
1: 42.
0: <coughs> can someone read that? I can. Sweet.
1: Um, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Um, and she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Um, but Martha was distracted with much serving, And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her.
0: Thank you so much. So there are two different attitudes that we see here between Mary and Martha. Martha... I know, gets a bad rap for, you know, not being with Jesus, but she didn't do anything wrong working for Jesus, working hard for Jesus. That was a good thing. Her problem was that she became distracted with much serving and that Martha's frustration is typical of those who diligently serve the Lord, but also forget to sit at the feet of Jesus. So when you look at how Jesus talks to Martha, you can see he cares for her. The NLT version says, my dear Martha. Yeah. This one says, Martha, Martha. You can see the, almost like a sense of love in Jesus' yeah. voice. Yeah. Martha did good. She wanted to serve Jesus, but she had not added the one thing that is needed. The Bible speaks of this in Luke 18, 22. I don't have it up there. Jesus is talking to the rich young ruler. He was like, I have all this stuff. What must I do? When Jesus heard of these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Come follow me. Mary is not trying to be lazy, but she sees a wonderful guest in her home and sees the value of being with him simply outweighs serving him, sitting at his feet and adoring him. Think of this picture. A crowded house full of commotion. And then there's this woman and she is at her knees, eyes locked on Jesus. And I would have been like, you know, obsessed at her obsession and i'm like whoa that is so cool i would have been struck by that obsession because she didn't care about what anyone else thought about her and she was looking at him that's the life i want she teaches something so important that he himself is too beautiful to look away from this this story of mary bethany is a call to be captivated by him she is the demonstration of his worth she is crying out that he is greater than his gifts. She wasn't standing in all of his powers. He wasn't doing anything special with powers. He just saw Jesus. And she found something way more valuable. She, was, she found that he himself was the fulfillment of her soul, the satisfaction and joy of her life. And she realized that being with him was to have everything she ever wanted. She found that his presence freed her from the need to have anything else. That's when we look at David, he's like, all I want is to be in the presence of the Lord. So knowing God and serving God are two different things. They're both good, but I hope you want to know God.
1: Yeah.
0: And so, many of you might think, I don't know this life. But let me tell you, Jesus described this life as the good part. Mary shows us that the essential believer's message is not to behave, but to be- behold. Then everything else will follow and fall in place. So, we're going to break down Psalms 27 just real quick. Verse 1, we see that he is light, salvation, and the stronghold. Verse 4, he is beautiful and fascinating. So we're going to go back to Psalms. And a lot of biblical scholars have connected some Psalms as a direct reflection of what was happening in David's life. Let me tell you. Or let me show you. So when we look at 1 Samuel 24, he says, When a Saul... Return following the Philistines, he was. But he was told, "Behold, David is in the wilderness of Gedi. David is running away because people are after him." So he goes in the wilderness, and so the connecting uh, scripture is Psalms sixty-three. Oh God, you're my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My bo- my whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. Check that out. As it showed when David was in the wilderness wilderness of Engedi, it was almost as if he was in a desert. For all we know, he could have been in like a lush wilderness. But what he's describing is hunger for food and water, but he's talking about spiritual hunger and a longing for God. And Eric Gilmore says the great emptiness inside men is that they're missing him. And as you feel hungry for lunch, like David, or like David, from your soul, you can have a lingering... Desire to spend time with God. I have seen in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. So David was not at the tabernacle when he sang this song. He was in the wilderness of Judah. And yet he knew that God's sanctuary was not only a place but a spiritual concept that can be entered by faith. No matter where you were, there was no desert in his heart, though there was a desert all around him. When I hang out with a friend, it can be set out at a time and place. It can be tomorrow at the school. It can be later tonight at Waterburger. But it doesn't have to be one place. I can drive around with my friend or friends around town, bring him to my house to Starbucks, as I can bring God with me throughout the, to my day and days after. Yeah. Yeah. You can talk with him and be honest with him. He deserves all of you and all of your honesty, no matter if it's good or bad. A.W. Yeah. Tozer says... Prayer is looking at God and God looking at me.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Wow. When I read that quote like two weeks ago and I was like, oh my gosh. And it changed (laughs) the way I thought of prayer. Before I used to be like so like rigid and like, (laughs) it's like, but I can relax. And like, God is not a drill sergeant. It it makes it, that quote made prayer so much more personal for me. So God is looking at you as if you're the only daughter in the world. God is looking at you as if you're the only son in the world. He loves you individually as if you're the only person in the world. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. This is the reason why God or David was so motivated to pursue God. Other translations say your loving kindness instead of steadfast love. David meant that the law of God to him was more precious than his own life. My lips will praise you. Psalm 63 speaks of Praise and devotion and grit to God and gratitude out of a rich sense of being blessed. one Out of great God's great evidence of his love, he's eager to praise God. So talk to him and let our love be only for him and not him with all the additions. Yeah. So we're going to break this one down just real quick. Verse one, God is an endless fountain that will satisfy. Verse two, powerful and endless glory, a personal God. Verse three, He is steadfast in love, loving kindness. And then we're going to jump to Psalms 119. Only partial of it. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Keep means doing, not only hearing. Those who treasure the word will come to understand and search the scriptures, to come and love them and practice them. Matthew 6, 21 says, for where your treasure is, there will, your heart will be also. Mm-hmm. If you seek him with your whole heart, we must have your whole heart towards God, yeah. our full affection and attention. God demands your heart, his rightful place on the throne of your heart. And sometimes you run into the trouble where we, look, we can also see him biblically where the Bible says Solomon loved the Lord, but mm-hmm. oftentimes you love the Lord, yet there is a but at the end of the sentence.
1: Yeah.
0: Or we can say, I love you, Lord. And did you catch that? And so it said, the ends and the buts that our love kills us. The additions are deadly. If you had an addition to your significant other, there would be some problems. It would be toxic. I, I will delight in your statutes. I will forget your word. I will not forget your word. And this is what the psalmist had in his heart. It was delight and a habit to meditate on God's words, his laws. The type of delight for rules bewilders me. Because in our society, and culture, when new laws get passed or rules are imposed on us, I'm like, my liberty is being restricted. This is not cool. (laughs) And so David loved God's laws because it gave him a guide on how to honor him, to live a life that's uncompromising. So this eventually leads, leads into a new covenant under Jesus where the old law goes away and we live by faith. But before this, but David didn't feel his liberties were being restricted. In fact, he felt he found freedom in them. If, if you ever read the book Celebration of Discipline,
1: yeah.
0: it's freedom from self.
1: Yeah. Does
0: that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So he found freedom from himself so he can honor God properly.
1: Yeah.
0: Verse 2, God deserves the throne of your heart. Yeah. Verse 16, God is a good lawmaker. In fact, he is the standard. Yeah. And if there is anything I hope you take away from today, I hope that you go into into the prayer closet delighted to be in God's presence. Yeah. Yeah. Any questions, comments, concerns, criticisms?
1: That's what I- do you normally, like, how do you
0: break it down in your personal, time? life? So, I usually try to see, and I break it down, like, one by one. And I'll read, like, read it multiple times. And the way I do it, what I recommend you do is reading it out loud. Especially, and, like, something that's really, really nice is I also recommend, it will be a little weird, is read the Psalms in the King James Version. (laughs) And it sounds so much more personal. It'll sound weird at first, but it's actually really cool. And so, and then also just like, so some people that don't, don't realize this, but the Bible is actually full of literary devices, yeah. like hyperboles, you know, exaggeration, metaphors or whatnot. Like when you, even in the new Testament, like yeah. Jesus says, Oh, I'm the, the gate to salvation. You don't literally imagine seeing Jesus with door hinges. Right. <laughs> and so yeah. it's like, you have to look for those like literary <laughs> devices. And then sometimes you can apply them into your own heart, like into your own life, and then you can apply them to, to like to general population. I don't
1: know. There's,
0: I don't know if that answers your question. I don't feel like I didn't do it justice.
1: Okay. Yes. Where's like if there's not a book like the Psalm Twenty Three book? What like resources do you use to kind of like break things down like this? If you need like.
0: Yes. So there is another book. I think it's kind of mid. It's not that great. But uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer actually wrote a book on Psalms. Yeah, I read it. Yeah, yeah, yes. And then I use a commentary called Enduring Word, and they, they, it's not unlimited. It's not limited to Psalms, but I love Enduring Word, but it has other books. We got two
1: questions. Yes. Uh, do you have a favorite song?
0: Twenty-three and twenty-seven.
1: Twenty-three and twenty-seven. Uh, have you read um, the Treasuries of, uh, is it more Spurgeon. Spurgeon, Spurgeon's Treasuries? Mm-mm. You should. No, <laughs> dude. <laughs> hey, will you give me the book? <laughs> wow. He goes through every, all 150. That's crazy. Yep. You should lend them to me. What? The they do? Oh. Okay cool I
0: yes i love you oh, i love you too man
1: uh, you didn't hit my favorite song so
0: i did preface that I was in the cover okay i'm sorry
1: <laughs>
0: well sweet if there's no further comments questions criticisms thank y'all so much